I was trying to think of what the worst thing, most uh, illegal thing you've ever done. Yeah. And honestly, I, I remember when I was in law school, I, I like, God, there are these horrible parking spaces outside the law school. And, and it's basically like your reverse, your reverse angle parking. Have you ever seen these? Reverse angle? So you back into an angled parking space. Oh. So yeah, I've seen those. Yeah. So the whole, the whole idea, I think, is that you back into a parking space so that your, your front is out. And the reason that these exist, I was told, is because I guess like if there are people on bikes, of which there are many, around the University of Texas campus. You're looking forward and it's much easier to see You need to be able them. to see them when yeah. you're pulling out. However, yeah. backing up into an angled parking space is something that people don't do on a regular basis. It's very <laughs> difficult, I think. Uh, also, yeah, I would, I would agree with that. The street outside of the law school is very busy. So like, it's a very stressful thing to back into a parking space and there's people behind you and people around you and you're angled into a parking space. So when I was in law school, like the semester before I graduated from law school, and, you know, so I was getting ready to take the bar that summer and everything like that. I backed into a space and I clipped this car next to me when I was mm-hmm. backing into the space. And I was like, oh, well, this sucks. Like, what am I going to do about this? Mm-hmm. And I didn't have any paper on me, so I like, couldn't leave a note. Mm-hmm. And so I like went into the law school to get some paper because I parked outside of the law school. So I like went to my locker or whatever to get some paper so I could like leave a note or whatever. And then I came back and this car was gone. And I realized that I had also parked in an illegal space. It wasn't like a handicapped space, but it was like a maintenance space or something like that. So like I had like double whammy this whole thing. And so this car had taken off. And so I call my dad and I'm like, dad, what do I do? And he's like, well, I don't know. I mean, like, it's probably not a moving violation. And then I was like, damn it, dad, I'm about to be a lawyer. You don't know shit about this. Like, why am I asking you for advice? You should have called me asking about this. Yeah. So, Long story short, after this happened, I was like, oh my God, like I hit this car and then they took off and I didn't report it. I'm like, gonna get what's going to happen? Yeah. So, literally, for like two or three weeks after that, and I'm not really exaggerating, this is how much of a straight <laughs> arrow I am. Like, every time I heard a siren, I was like, oh shit. Here the they come. are coming for me. They figured it out. There's surveillance cameras on the law school. Yeah. I mean, They're nothing happened. Down the door. Nothing happened. Obviously, nothing happened because that's, that's totally ridiculous, right? But that's. That's my, you know, wow. that's my, yeah, I know. Man. I've gotten pulled over a bunch of times. Sure. Since I've everyone, every train. human has gotten pulled over. I mean, I've that's... gotten pulled over a bunch of times and usually in pretty like, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I, I speed. It's fine. Yeah, you know? sure. Everyone speeds. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, I mean, what, what do you think? I mean, what, what are your, what are your scrapes with the law? Oh God, mine. Um, I don't have any scrapes. Fortunately, I've, I've only been pulled over for speeding and taillight stuff. But um, gosh, I mean, if I were to think of the most illegal thing I've ever done, like just without the law being involved, um, I've got about eight terabytes of pirated TV and movies right now. Okay. Yeah, sure. I mean, eight, eight terabytes is quite a bit. It is. And it's all, you know, it's all pretty high profile stuff. Um, so that, that doesn't is, seem very above board. It's not. It's, in fact, extremely below board. <laughs> Let me ask you this, Taylor. Statute of limitations would have run. Have you ever possessed more than 3.2 grams of marijuana? Can I, can I plead the fifth? You can plead the fifth, and you should plead the fifth. I plead the fifth. 
Welcome in, everyone, to episode 11 of It's Always Sunny in Chief's Kingdom. I'm Austin. I'm Taylor. And he shut the fuck up. He pled the fifth. Ladies and gentlemen, this week we've got some exciting news. It was a big news day in Chief's Kingdom. Not all of it good. We're saying goodbye to Dustin Colquitt. Happy trails to him after 15 years. And we're going to talk about uh, Bashad Breland and how not to deal with law enforcement. We'll also recap the Chiefs draft class in our last episode. You got our live reactions to uh, round one. We're going to go through the remaining rounds of the draft, talk a little bit about the rest of the Chiefs draft class, uh, kind of how that all played out. We'll get into a little bit of a conversation there. And then we'll close it out with something that we recorded last week and have to re-record because we didn't actually record it last week. That is our recap of Chiefs versus Packers, our ongoing series where we recap the 2019 championship season. So Taylor, you want to do, you want to do news? You want to do our news drop? News, 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 news. Let's start with Dustin Colquitt. Cause that's kind of, that's not going to get me as riled up. So Dustin Colquitt, longtime Chiefs punter announced late last night, early this morning that he was no longer with the Chiefs posted a little farewell on social media. We did find out that he has been cut by the Chiefs. So we will be seeing a new punter in a Chiefs uniform after 15 years, 15 years, the longest yeah. tenured Chief in history. Yeah, it's, uh, it's the end of an era for sure. And it's one that, you know, the punter kind of sneaks up on you when he's been around that long. Um, I know everyone has their, their fond memories of Colquitt, but he's not someone that I expected to miss that much when I realized that he was going to leave. Um, yeah. But – I mean, I felt that loss. I felt that one. Maybe more than some of the other, um, I guess you would say, more involved players than the punter recently. Um, he just, he put in his time. He was a an absolute shining beacon for all the guys of the whole 15 years he was there. Um, great member of the community. Just a really, really outstanding dude and also an outstanding punter. Yes. And, the number of times that that we that he's come up with a big punt and you know we just never worried about him he never shanked it he never went out there and and screwed stuff up it was just he was a professional and yeah i'm gonna miss the guy no question yeah it's gonna be interesting i mean like you said you know um people were asking on social media like uh, who if you can even remember who the punter was before Dustin Colquitt and I could not and in fact I still cannot I read it <laughs> earlier today and I still don't know who it was sure just uh, a crazy thing to have a 15 year NFL career even as a specialist I mean that's that's a, a pretty amazing achievement he was a third round draft pick I uh, mentioned this in our little round table for Sports Illustrated which should be going up today or tomorrow and might already be up by the time you hear this but um, just my reaction to it when I was kind of getting into football in the early 2000s you know I I, I sort of like I stand Dustin Colquitt as my favorite player because I wanted to be different and like you know who who cares about the punter right mm-hmm. but also he was legitimately like, I don't want to say our best player. How could a punter be your best player? But like, there were some times where Dustin Colquitt and his booming field flipping punts were like, that was, that was like the highlight of the game. Dustin Colquitt kicked it 80 yards, you know, like just, you know, um, it's a, it is sad. It's tough. You know, he was our Walter Payton man of the year nominee this year. Uh, Obviously just a great guy has done a lot of work in the community. And it is sad that like, it sounds like he's not quite ready to hang him up, 
Yeah, it wasn't and, on his terms. And it wasn't on his terms, which you hate to see. I mean, it is it is tough. It would have been great if, you know, the Chiefs and Dustin had been on the same page and they had decided, you know, he decided he wanted to hang it up and they said, you know, we want to go in a different direction and save $2 million and get younger at the position. And unfortunately, that was not the case. So it'll be interesting to see, I guess, if, you know, somebody else does pick him up. I don't know who's in the market for a punter. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, I think someone's got to be in the market for a punter like him. Sure. For an yeah. absolute professional and a good guy and a, I mean, one of the top punters in the league. No question about it. I w- I will be shocked if he if he wants to go on. So he could also kind of now that the Chiefs cut him, he might not want to ever go play for another team, which is you know happens. But um, if he wants to go sign with somebody and you know we're all still alive in September, then uh, then I could see that happening. <laughs> I was looking for the tweet. I was going to shout, shout him out before we moved to our next segment because he said it was always sending in the kingdom. So I was going to, you know, give him a special He did. He did give us a maybe unintentional shout out, but I'm, I'm choosing to believe Dustin, if you're listening, which I, we which love it you. sounds like you have, we absolutely love you. We'll miss you. You were the man. Um, we appreciate you saying that it's always sunny in the kingdom. Um, we know that that was subliminal advertising and we're here for it. And Dustin, if you're not listening, then, uh, you won't mind me saying that we know you listen to the show. You're a big fan. Yeah. We're going to use you to promote this. And uh, thank you for that. We really yes. enjoyed that publicity. Either way. Let's transition to something a little darker, <laughs> which is Bashad Breland. You very intelligently in our opening segment uh, were posed a question about your legal activities and you chose to plead the fifth. Now, whatever we were talking about, you know, misdemeanor marijuana possession, statute of limitations is running that, bro. You don't have to plead the fifth. But you know what? You did anyway. And that's what Bashar Breland should have done. I, I kind of just want to walk through this. Obviously, um, I picked up like, I don't know, 70 or 80 new followers today. It, it was a good day. As somebody who has, like, I, I'm not even joking, at least half of the people that follow me on Twitter follow me because of the whole Tyreek Hill debacle last yeah, that's year. That's probably right? conservative. And I don't, I don't like that about my Twitter account. Like I wish that I were getting followers in a different way, but the fact is I am a prosecutor. I've been a prosecutor for five and a half years. This is something that I know a little bit about. And so, you know, when stuff like this happens, I do try and, you know, provide some context because typically the initial reaction to these things, and I'm not just talking about from fans, but reporters too, mm-hmm. is always just, it's totally, off the deep end, right? Like yep. the second you hear somebody is arrested for anything, mm-hmm. you know, people freak out. And I will say as somebody who, as we, we discussed in our little cold open has not had a lot of personal scrapes with law enforcement. I haven't done a lot of the legal things in my life. I'll tell you before I became a prosecutor, I think I was representative of most people who have never had any contact with the criminal justice system in that when you hear somebody is arrested for five charges and one of them is like resisting arrest and there's like a possession charge in there, you automatically are like, well, shit, like, is he going to prison? Like, right. you know, this sounds really bad. Like he resisted an officer, like what's going on here. He got arrested. He spent the night in jail. Um, we'll get into the positive drug test in a minute. Cause that obviously puts a different shine on this whole thing. But I will say just with respect to the, the criminal charges, they are not a big deal. They are all misdemeanors. It is frankly, just giving my opinion, 
completely outrageous that he was even put in jail and that he was given a $2,500 bond. I would tell you in most jurisdictions in America right now, especially with COVID going on, somebody would never spend a night in jail or, you know, however long it took him to call up and come up with 2,500 bucks, probably like five minutes <laughs> if we're being honest. Right. He actually might've had $2,500 on, on his person. Yeah. I, I do think I read in the police report that he had a significant amount of cash. Um, you know, this is going to be a really interesting case because number one, obviously there's a positive drug test as well, unrelated and prior to this incident, which we'll get into, but this is the new CBA. We actually don't really have a lot of precedent and precedent is not something that's extremely valuable with the NFL when it comes Jeez. to discipline anyway, because no they, they don't have any, they don't really have any kind of predictability to their disciplinary policy. So that'll be interesting. Obviously, you can compare it to somebody like Patrick Chung, who was indicted for a felony for possessing mm -hmm. cocaine, which is a completely different ballgame than a bunch of ticky-tack misdemeanor charges. Um, but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't ever convicted. I think that I, I don't even really know what happened with that case. I was about to like, say, please, it, if you know, tell me because I really don't. I like it just at some point, like the charges were dismissed and it was like, that was like the press release or the tweet or the news. Like the story was literally like one sentence. Yeah. Charges have been dismissed. That's it. That's it. We don't know what happened. Um, what happened with Robert Kraft? Yeah. Uh, that's a great question. I, I honestly don't know what happened with that either. At, at one point he had won a suppression hearing, which yeah. meant that the video was going to be suppressed, which sounded to me as a casual observer from afar, I don't have access to the file, mm -hmm. but to me seemed like a, a pretty, obviously incorrect legal ruling just based on what I read. Uh, I know the DA was going to maybe appeal it. And then that's the last I heard. <laughs> so, so who knows? And he was never disciplined. I think the trend, you know, leading up to the CBA, and I know this is something that the players wanted in the CBA is towards fewer suspensions. And especially when you're talking about something where somebody is not convicted, uh, you know, Kareem Hunt was pulled over and possessed marijuana. And he didn't run from the cops. But he was pulled over and, and he had, had an open container. He had an open container and he had some marijuana on him and frankly was acting like I don't know, the saddest man alive. It yeah. was honestly like pretty sad. It was. Uh, he was never he was never suspended. There was not really well, ever not yet. Well could they still review everything and I, I don't I guess they could. It was I in the off season. It we was. Had, it was before the Super Bowl, right? Because he said I could be playing in the Super Bowl right now. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I mean who knows if they I, – I could see them dinging him for that. But they haven't yet, which is which is fair. You know, I just like – it'll be interesting to see. We don't really have any precedent for us. If we did, it wouldn't necessarily help us. But I, I just want to kind of go through I'll, – I'll go through the, the facts of it here really quick uh, just to kind of give my perspective on it just, you know, so that we can. So I'm going to dispense of free legal advice here. I'm not your attorney. I have to give that disclaimer, you know. This is, this is not specific legal advice to your case. Number one, don't talk to the cops. As a prosecutor, I really enjoy it when people talk to the cops. I'll tell you that 99% of the time, if you're going to talk to the cops, it's going to hurt you. It's not going to help you. As a private citizen, you should absolutely always, I, I will advise you, you should absolutely always invoke your rights. You should not talk to the police. You definitely, definitely should not get on social media as soon as you want <laughs> out of jail. <laughs> and try and explain the situation, which you've already tried to explain to the police. There's there's zero percent chance that he didn't tell the police exactly what he said on social media, which was that basically that like he was set up, somebody threw a, a joint into his car. 
we got the police report. And in fact, one of the deputies did see uh, one of the parties throw a blunt into his vehicle. However, they also found more marijuana in his vehicle, which was, was not, not, thrown obviously, in there. <laughs> not obviously planted there. And then he told them that he was a marijuana enthusiast. And then, yes. and then he gave them consent to search his phone, which had a bunch of texts of him buying and or selling drugs and photos, which... Uh, in what universe was he thinking that was going to help him? I, I don't know. And honestly, here's the thing. Uh, most people that commit crimes, and I use that word loosely, this yeah. is technically a crime, but like, come on. Yeah. Really? Like, uh, we're talking about two and a half grams of marijuana. He ran from the cops. Frankly, I'm glad that he didn't get shot because no the, the officer did draw a weapon on him. Yeah, both which, a by taser the way, and a gun. Yeah, I do want to say like um, – we'll get to the letter from his attorneys in a minute, you know, whether there was excessive force here, like a cop is going to pull a gun on you and is probably going to be justified on pulling a gun on you. If you try to get back in your car mm-hmm. while they're telling you to comply, because they don't know what's in your car. No. They haven't searched his car yet. You could have a gun in your car. That's why they're going to pull a gun on you. And frankly, like I said, he's lucky that he didn't get hurt. And thankfully he didn't get hurt. Um, so he gets on social media and, you know, offers this defense. He deleted his tweets after he lawyered up, which is great, but they're out there. They've been reported on. They've been screenshotted. They're available. Um, he got a pretty high-powered lawyer, I guess a guy that worked for the DNC or something like that. Like, guys, guys, legit, extremely legit. So these are misdemeanor charges. They're all misdemeanor charges. His attorneys, you know, after he lawyered up, went out, put out this firm. They said they look forward to reviewing all the available evidence they threw in that sentence about how he's innocent until proven guilty. We look forward to investigating why this level of force was necessary. You know, if you're going to write a letter, you know, like a public letter for your celebrity client, you got to throw some shade on the state's case, right? Like, you know, you got to be like, well, why did this officer pull a gun on him? Huh? You know, like the reason is because he tried to get back in his car, right? Like, I mean, look, it's fine, but people read that letter and they're like, Oh, why, why did he do that? Uh, but they, they correctly, and this should have been, frankly, should have been reported in every article that was reported about this. He's facing only misdemeanor charges, right? Like, you did not see that, I don't think, in any of the initial reporting on it. They just listed the charges. And yeah, for, arrested on multiple charges is yeah. what most of them said. And for people that don't have any understanding of the criminal justice system, you got to provide that context because somebody that just reads those charges, they don't have any idea if that means, you know, like he's going to jail, he's facing a fine, he's facing prison time. You like, like mm-hmm. the, the most serious charge in here is the resisting arrest. And even that, you know, we didn't get a lot of context on that. Uh, I had to look up the South Carolina resisting arrest statute this morning. He ran away from the cops basically, which was stupid. Yeah. He should not have done that, but like he didn't, Hey man, he, he was he, high. He pushed the he cop. He pushed the cop when the cop was trying to handcuff him. Basically, like I don't want to sound insensitive, um, especially if we have law enforcement that listen to this. Like I appreciate that and work with law enforcement on a daily basis. Their jobs are really hard. Uh, Lives matter, it's a, bro. It's a really, really hard job, um, and especially when you're dealing with people that you, you know, I mean, you're you're constantly being put in situations where your life could be in danger. You're dealing with people who don't respect the law. Um, but some of that stuff, you know, the shoving people running away from you, some of that comes to the territory. Right. So I don't know. I I mean, at the end of the day, it's not a very serious charge. If it were the only thing going on with him, I'd say maybe he gets a game, maybe he gets two games tops. I'm pretty confident that he is going to walk away with nothing on his record from this, given who he's hired. Um, it's funny. That's how it should work. Right. 
Yeah, well, <laughs> he, you know, he's rich. Um, yeah, I know. It's, these kinds of cases, uh, it's funny because obviously when you, you're dealing with like a celebrity defendant, right? Like that's high profile. It's going to be reported on. So in some sense, like you want, if you're a prosecutor, you want kind of to devote resources to it, whatever. Except that's kind of a double-edged sword, right? Because if you're prosecuting somebody for having 2.5 grams of marijuana, which in many, many states is not even a crime, mm-hmm. are you going to look like an idiot? You know, like it's kind of yeah, like, you know, like you remember when Odell, uh, that police officer wanted to press charges against certainly Odell for slapping him on the butt or whatever. Yeah. Right. Again, like four or five days after that, they dropped the charges. Of course. Cause it was like, man, was our, our PR here is just, it's just so bad. I don't think that's going to happen here, but it's one of those things where ordinarily this would be a case that would be handed to you know, a district attorney that is straight out of law school, like the first new person that you've hired. And if that person hypothetically were to go up in a trial against uh, these attorneys that Mr. Breland has hired, they'd get completely smoked mm-hmm. and they would get run out of the courtroom. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it's going to be interesting to follow it and see it play out. So after we spent all that time breaking that down this morning, we got the news that he's already been suspended. They're not going to suspend him because he's already been suspended. A couple of days ago, a suspension letter came in. One for him, one for me. He better mail it halfway to Siberia, because <laughs> that might be his best chance to avoid a suspension. At this point. So what we know is currently it's four games. Did you see, I had not seen what he tested positive for. Have you I seen don't it? believe it's been public. I don't think it has either. And he's obviously, he's already appealing it. It was uh, reported this afternoon and it completely makes sense now that all 32 teams were aware of this during free agency. Yeah. Which is part of the yeah, reason good point. why I didn't think about that. Yeah. So they, they confirmed that this afternoon. I think Tom Pelissero confirmed that this afternoon that the teams were aware of it. So it's been going on for a while. He's been in the appeals process, like everything else the NFL does with respect to discipline. There's no telling how long the appeal process will last, (laughs) whether it will be successful or not. You just don't know. I mean, I mean, the process is completely opaque. The new CBA, the new CBA does call for significantly reduced substance abuse policy violations in general. I don't know how, you know, where, where the specifics play into this, but I do know that substance abuse, not just, minimal suspensions but specific to substance abuse was part of the new cba yeah and if everybody was kind of saying that the players got railroaded a little bit but this was like a very significant piece of the cba for the players um from everything yeah they just want to smoke weed man they want to be able to smoke weed especially during the off season when they're not playing football right um and really they should be able to because of many of the states again that they play in it's legal for them to do so it's not in South Carolina. So, you know, there's (laughs) that. Um, So we'll just keep our eyes peeled. Now, worst case scenario, he misses four games for the substance abuse. The previous, he loses his appeal. He has to serve a four game suspension. And then he could get some more on top of that for this incident. So, you know, I'd say probably worst case scenario, you're looking at like, I don't know, four games for the substance abuse, the positive test, and then maybe another two games. But you just can't predict what the NFL is going to do, right? Like you just, you just don't know. No. Goodell's going to Goodell. No, but fortunately, um, you know, the team is like, it's Bashad Breland. It was not Chris Jones or it was not. So, I mean, you know, like. Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, well, I wasn't even going to say that. That would, be, <laughs> that would be preposterous. Can you imagine anyone arresting Pat? He would be like, I ah, can't. no, no, I can't, you're not going to arrest me. 
I would love to see body cam of Pat like really high, like smoking a blunt, like <laughs> drunk Pat was such an drunk unexpected Pat was a treat. <laughs> it was, it was such an unexpected joy for somebody that, and obviously it is a blessing that he's such a buttoned up person a lot yeah. of the time yeah. that he's such a professional because yeah. that's what you that's want. What you need. Because you don't want your quarterback getting arrested no. and going on TMZ or whatever, you know, uh, you want to not like lie awake at night thinking like, oh my God, what's Pat up to? You know, well, when's he going to get in trouble for whatever he's doing, going out and leading his crazy life? But uh, it was, it was fun. It, it was, was fun. It was very nice to see him cut loose. He's the consummate professional. He has a teed up answer for every question before it's asked. He's as good at answering media questions as he is at playing quarterback. He's just, he's, he just, they have, they can't throw him for a loop no matter how hard they try. And to see him swaying around and chugging beers and grabbing his crotch. And he was just, he was killing me. Yeah. It's amazing. Well, this Bashad Breland talk is maybe a good segue into our draft talk. We'll go through pick by pick, but obviously if Bashad misses, misses some time, the chiefs are going to have to find somebody to fill in at cornerback, which is hilarious because the chiefs just don't believe in investing in cornerback at all. And there was a lot of talk about this today, like in the context of, well, what if he misses time? You know, what if he gets cut? I don't think that that's really on the table. I think he's, he's definitely going to be on the team this year. You know, honestly, if he misses the first four to six games of the season, who cares? Because yeah. we know we're going to win the division. And once we're in the playoffs, now this year, there's only one number one seed. That, that's a little bit of an X factor. One first round bye. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah, well, sure. I there's always only one number yeah. one seed. Thank <laughs> I was, I was, yes. was kind of, I lost you there for a second. But yeah, yeah there's yeah, yeah. only one first round buy, and first obviously round there's two teams competing for it: us and the Ravens. So yeah, true. That could be that could be a little spicy. But and we're in Baltimore. We are. We're in Baltimore this year. Yeah, that could be a little. That could be a little interesting. But it's funny to me because, you know, in and we went through the draft. You and I were both this way. You know, we've been pretty upfront. Like we don't, we don't mock, we don't scout players before the draft. Like I, I follow it along. I obviously I'm connected with a lot of people that are very into the draft. And so, you know, if I'm plugged into Twitter or whatever, and people are like Bryce Hall, Bryce Hall, Bryce Hall. I'm like, yeah, cool. I want Bryce Hall. Yeah. That sounds great. Like (laughs) he's cornerback, you know, he played with Juan Thornhill at Virginia. He was really good last year. And then he got hurt. Sounds like a great value. And then the chiefs were just like, "Mm, nah, pass we're going to take a linebacker and then we're going to take an offensive lineman. And then we're going to take a safety who I guess will, will play cornerback for us. But honestly, you know, Taylor, it doesn't really concern me as much that we might be missing Bashad Breland, who's probably our, our first or second best cornerback on the team currently for four to six games, because we just won the Super Bowl with a bag of cornerbacks that everybody thought was just terrible. Yeah. And Steve Spagnuolo said, nah, I'm good. I got this. And we ended up having, you know, a top, top 15 defense after the debacle we had, you know, in 2018. I loved this tweet. I had to go retweet this today. But this time, one year ago, April 29th, 2019, Mike Renner of Pro Football Focus, PFF Mike, tweeted, no Super Bowl winner in the PFF era has had close to a CB group this bad on paper. Ooh. One year ago today. Ooh, that is a freezing cold take. It is a freezing cold take because all those cornerbacks did was win the Super Bowl. So. Man. And then 
they've just added Legarius and Thacarius to go with Charvarius. So, I mean, they're, they're just uh, – I, I can't get enough of this defensive backfield group name, the, the Ariases. They're killing me. We're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's go through <laughs> pick by pick. So, in round two, the Chiefs took Willie Gay Jr., a linebacker out of Mississippi State, a guy who had just outrageous uh, athletic testing numbers but fell due to some character concerns. He punched his quarterback in the face. And also there was a little academic fraud thrown in there, you know, some cheating on some tests and things like that. So we ended up not playing that much in college, uh, but athletically and just uh, he had the highest coverage grade of any linebacker in the class for pro football focus, which, you know, we need an athletic linebacker who can cover. Mm, Okay. Sign me up for that. Yeah. He really fits what we, what we needed. He he fills not only the positional need, but the, the mold of the linebacker type that we needed. And, you know, everybody was hand-wringing about every single pick throughout this whole draft, and then you kind of sit back and you look at it and you're like, okay, yeah, like if I had looked at Willie Gay Jr. a little bit better before the draft, I right. would have been fired up when they picked him. It's just it's really hard. It's hard for fans to mock and to, to have all the names in their head and everything, but um, I, I love the pick looking back on it. Our colleague at Sports Illustrated, Jacob Harris, I said, Willie Gay sounds a little bit like budget Patrick Queen uh, because, you know, that's what we heard about Patrick Queen, good in coverage, athletic, you know, great sideline to sideline speed. And I just love this description from Jacob Harris. You can check his workout at Sports Illustrated, where we all write, SI Now, Arrowhead Report, SI Chiefs. He said, Willie Gay is the cool, raw, authentic, underground artist who Patrick Queen stole all his gimmicks from and sanitized them for pop stardom. <laughs> so sign me up for that. You that know, is a me, banger. I love yeah, that. It is. That's, that's my, that's my perfect scouting report on Willie Gay. So I really liked that pick round three. We took an offensive lineman, Lucas Nyang out of TCU, uh, who played, I think all, but maybe four snaps or something uh, like that at right tackle when he was at TCU. Yeah. Uh, did have a pretty significant injury, but had didn't allow a single sack in college, I believe. Yeah, and only had three penalties. So, and I mean, he, he faced very disciplined. Yeah, he faced Chase Young. Yeah, uh, who was the number two overall pick. He faced uh, Nick Bosa, who was the defensive rookie of the year last year or yep. this year, twenty nineteen. I, I don't know. At what point yeah. do we transition? Last season. Last yeah, season. last season. That's good. That's right. That's that's the proper terminology. Mm-hmm. He's also fluent in French, which is like pretty random, and you know that's <laughs> kind of that's kind of fun. You know, DT, you'll get along. Yeah, we've got to be the only offensive line in the NFL that has two guys on it that are fluent in French, right? Like, that could just be – did you see, by the way, while we're talking about French-speaking offensive linemen, uh, <laughs> we, we have to shout out Dr. Larry, right, who is yeah. now out on the front lines fighting COVID-19. If you guys didn't see that story, uh, go check that out. You should be able to find it online. Also on SI Chiefs. Great yes. Great yes. story about it. And, I, I mean, man, good for him. Um Round four, Legereus Sneed. You were you were talking up his name. What do you like about Legereus Sneed? I love Legereus Sneed. He had the fourth fastest combine 40-yard dash. Um, so, you know, he flies. And he's long, and he plays both cornerback and safety. Um, he You know, he came out of Louisiana Tech, so there is a little bit – anytime a, uh, a guy doesn't come out of a big-name school, you always kind of wonder about the competition that he played up played against. But fortunately – his, his physical stuff is all there. It doesn't matter what the competition was. He's long and fast and versatile. I think this was a home run pick. 
Yeah, and what's what's great about that too is, and this is something that we talked about and a lot of people have talked about before the draft and we'll still be talking about when we get to training camp and into the season. You know, when you, you see a pick like this, you just have to kind of trust that the Chiefs know what they're doing. Like the the track record, it's short. Brett Beach has only been the GM for three years, but his track record developing guys like late later round picks, guys from smaller schools, guys like Traverius Ward. I mean, we traded Parker yeah. Anger for Traverius Ward, who was undrafted, and we went and scooped him up from the Cowboys, and he was our best cornerback last year. Like, it just is one of those those situations where you just really have to trust that the Chiefs scouting is good. That's why we're a successful team. And uh, our man, Therese Paler, of course, who we love, um, he tweeted about this after the draft too, with respect to our undrafted free agent class that, you know, and this is something that he was really preaching before the draft too, that this year, because of the the lack of pro days, because of the lack of in-person visits, this was going to be a year where the teams with superior scouting departments were really going to carry the day. And Snead really feels like a guy that, that could be, you know, kind of that diamond in the rough. Now he was playing safety. It yeah. sounds like we're going to move him back to cornerback where he is just an athletic freak. We took, a lot of athletes in this draft we did I think that Spags has a type and and that type is you know like the the difference between playing corner and playing safety while there is a difference if you can get a guy that can do both it just gives you so many fun options on defense so many different ways you can play him up tight against somebody and then back him off and rotate around and do all kinds of just you you know positionless football it's just guys that can be out there that you don't really know how to attack them because they can do so many different things honey badger is the the absolute mold of that where you know he he plays all over the field he does it all well um i just think that if you can get a guy that is comfortable in a lot of different scenarios i mean hell kendall fuller moving to safety was a perfect example of that that was absolutely someone that you know, when the need and safety arose with uh, Thornhill's injury, he stepped in and it just, it lets you be so much more um, versatile and dynamic on defense. And I think that's the type of player. Now, I guess everyone should be going for versatile football players, but that's the type of guy that um, really you can tell Spags and then by extension Veach are targeting for this defense and man, if it's going to work out anything like some of these other picks so far, I mean, Thornhill was dynamic. He was great before he went down. Yeah, terrific. And and I love that he's coming back. Like, that's another thing that, you know, we won we won all three of those playoff games without one Thornhill. Yeah, I was and thinking about that today. I mean, he's that's kind of like a draft that, pick. I mean, yeah, it's – He is. He, he, that's exactly right. Yeah, he is. Yeah, it's super exciting. I'm, I'm excited. So, round five, we took Mike Dana – Mm-hmm. and he's a guy that I really did not know a whole lot about coming in. He's a little bit of a, a smaller guy for his position, but a guy that, uh, you know, when you kind of watch the breakdown on it, the chiefs certainly were excited to get him. Brendan Daly had said on the call, and I'm sure they say this to everybody that they pick, right. But he yeah, said right, that right. if there was one player they could get on day three, it would have been him. Um, a guy that, that initially, you know, kind of the initial response during the draft was, oh, this is a, you know, this is a Dave Tobe guy who's maybe going to contribute on special teams. But it actually does sound like, uh, I mean, just reading into some of the comments from Brendan Daly and some of the other defensive coaches, 
a guy that, you know, they, while he may be a little bit undersized and may, you know, another guy that didn't play against super elite competition may have a little bit of an adjustment period. It does sound like he's a guy that, you know, they're excited to kind of work in and see how he maybe fits. Yeah. He certainly had a high motor at central Michigan. Um, I know his junior year, he didn't really do much his first two years. And then his junior year, he was all Mac and team MVP and was absolutely killed it. He had 15 tackles for loss, nine and a half sacks, forced three fumbles, was all over the field. And then Michigan pulled him away from Central Michigan for his senior year. So, you know, Michigan saw the need for a grad transfer of his caliber and he played in every game for uh, the Wolverines and, and, it definitely feels like a guy that um, has been accelerating his career. You know, he's been getting better and better. And as soon as he got to the peak at Central Michigan, he pops over to Michigan. Then he gets drafted by the Chiefs. And, and I just think I like his career trajectory at this point. Yeah, me too. It'll be fun to see how he fits in. And then our last pick in round seven, I actually missed this because they turned the draft off because we didn't have any more picks. Yeah. But we traded back in and we got cornerback Bo Pete keys, which Andy on the call had to confirm that he was calling him the right thing. That is what he goes by <laughs> Bo Pete keys. So we got a little, a uh, little developmental cornerback there in the seventh round. Yeah. And um, he was who I was also saying his first name is actually Thacarius. So he does go by Bo Pete, but we now have Thacarius, Legarius, and Charbarius in the secondary. So like, great. I mean, great. it's just sign me up for that all day. The killer, the killer various. Yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, he seemed like a guy that um, they, so they actually traded next year's sixth round pick to pick keys in the seventh round this year so they saw him they thought there was going to be a little bit of a bidding war for him and instead of letting him become an undrafted or undrafted free agent and then having to go up against a couple of teams for him they actually traded for the rights to pick him it's interesting you don't see that a lot trading a higher pick next year for a lower round pick this year to get your guy but I mean that's kind of that's what it takes sometimes and the Chiefs had obviously advanced scouted him enough that he was on their radar and they made it happen yeah, especially with the seventh round picks. I, that, I, that's more what I meant. The late, yeah, yeah, right. I mean, reaching we, for a seventh round pick is it's it's a it's an interesting trade. What you don't see very often is trading like a sixth for this year's seventh, right? Like those picks. For those of you that don't know, I wish I had the numbers in front of me, but the hit rate after the fourth round, when you get into the fifth round and after, and really even in the fourth round, but especially fifth round and later, your hit rate is extremely low like the there obviously are i mean you can point to great nfl players at every position that have been drafted in the fifth round or later obviously tom brady was drafted in the sixth round what antonio brown i think was drafted in the sixth round adam thielen was an undrafted free agent you know like charvarius ward was undrafted not to put him in the same conversation with tom brady priest holmes it happens but the hit rate is is really, really low. So it is interesting, and not that the hit rate on a sixth is extremely high, but it's interesting when you see a team give up a late-round pick and move back into the seventh round to take a guy. And you mentioned, you know, kind of getting a jump start essentially on a guy that may potentially be an undrafted free agent or another team might have taken him with the seventh-round pick. And the Chiefs did uh, did plenty of work in the UDFA class, as they always do, you know, signed a bunch of guys signings. there. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm excited to dig into these guys come come training camp. I'm not going to do it before then because yeah, 
they're UDFAs. Like yeah, yeah. everything, take everything it's that like I mock just drafting. Yeah. Take everything <laughs> that I just said about fifth through seventh round picks and then like, you know, multiply it by a factor of like a hundred. And that's where you're talking about the hit rate on UDFAs. Although, you know, obviously with a UDFA class, like you, you have your pick of every guy that doesn't get drafted. There are a lot more guys who don't get drafted than there are who do. There was a really stupid tweet going around. I just want to throw this in as a rant, a mini rant. Okay. Did you, I love see, this, did you see this tweet about how there are more undrafted players in the Hall of Fame than there are first overall picks? Well, of course there are. Yeah. Because there's like know a how million. Many... Yeah. Ugh. There's been like 50 first overall picks and like oh, a no. million UDFAs. Oh, it was terrible. It was a terrible tweet. I mean, it, it was from an account that I really like. It was the NFL beat writers account. It's just like, a, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody that goes around and retweets and, you know, summarizes NFL news. It's a great news Man, source. Like but then he... they try to editorialize. I'm like, you know, no, don't, don't give me your opinions. Just, yeah. Just give me the information. You got to take that L. No, yeah, that that was not good. That was not um, a, a good tweet at all. But on on the UDFAs, I do think the Florida punter Tommy Townsend has probably well, the best new relevance. Right, exactly. Probably the best chance of being relevant more than anyone else, just based on the position. Yeah, I mean, certainly now that Dustin Colquitt has uh, has hit the trail, we're looking for a guy uh, like Townsend to come in. And I mean, somebody's we're going to choose. are going to have a punter competition yeah. this year in camp. I mean, yeah. that'll be. It'll be kind of fun. I mean, it's got to be fun for, and you know, if you've ever watched any of Colquitt's mic'd up, you know how fun it is to be the punter oh, on a team with Patrick Mahomes, right? Like, yeah, yeah. it just, you know. So speaking of on a team with Patrick Mahomes, before your Ooh. mini rant, you were talking yeah. about that, um, you know, there's a lot of the, the all the undrafted free agents, the 18 of them that the Chiefs are going to pick. And it's funny because, yes, they didn't get drafted, but then they can talk to all 32 teams That's and right. work out a deal. And you've got to figure that once the draft ends, the UDFAs, I don't know, do you want to go to a team that's loaded, that's really good, that's going to be a lot of fun, that you might not be able to maybe rise in the depth chart as much? Or do you want to go to a crappy team in a crappy city in a crappy – I mean, it just – you know, with bad coaches, and, and but maybe you can get a chance to show your stuff. I, I feel like a lot of these guys – look at the chiefs and they say, I want to be a part of that. I would, I would hope, I mean, just, I know obviously a little rose colored glasses here, but um, I would think that if you're like one of the guys that all 32 teams talk to as a UDFA, you would look at the defending Super Bowl champs and be like, ah, I'm going to go with those guys. You know, it's kind of fun too, because I, I actually, uh, I'll shout out our man Therese again. He had a tweet about this. You know, he kind of mentioned that, you know, just because you're the Super Bowl champs doesn't necessarily mean that everybody wants to come and play for you. Because like you said, I mean, guys that are UDFAs, they're, you know, they're getting paid $100,000 to come into camp, right? And they're not guaranteed a roster spot. I mean, $100,000, like on the top end, like that's, that's a lot of money for a UDFA. Yeah. So while I would love for somebody to pay me $100,000, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not an NFL camp invitee. <laughs> no, um, not this that's year. not, that's Keep not going to be, out, life, that's not going to be a life changing, you know, uh, sustaining amount of money, uh, amount of wealth. So they're looking to stick on a roster. And so they do, you know, it sounds like, I mean, obviously everybody's different personal preferences and everything like that, but obviously, you know, the, the fit uh, is important. And I think it's significant. You know, the Chiefs didn't take a wide receiver in the draft. We thought maybe they might because yeah. this was a really deep wide receiver draft. It was a really deep 
UDFA class too, just because of the outrageous number of great wide receivers that came out this year. And the Chiefs did pick up a couple of wide receivers. And you'd think that of any position group, that would be one where the fact that you have the best quarterback in the world would right. be a big would be a big draw. We've talked about it before. We talked about it. Um, we talked about it on the episode that didn't get recorded. Damn it. <laughs> but spoiler alert, one of our great chiefs backup performances in history was from Albert Wilson in week 17 with Patrick Mahomes. We talked about it last week, two weeks ago, whatever it didn't record. It's fine. Um, I, I do want to highlight a UDFA wide receiver while we're yeah, on that subject. It. And uh, this is Washington Huskies wide receiver, Andre Bacellia. And he's a guy that ran at his pro day, a four, two, eight 40, which is blazing. Taylor and is that fast. <laughs> that is extremely fast. Speed has everything to do with it. And uh, I, um, you know, uh, for context, the fastest 40 time, at the combine, this was at his pro day, but the fastest at the combine and pro Henry day Ruggs, numbers are always a little bit juiced. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Still, that, Henry that Ruggs is... ran a four two seven at the combine. So the, and that was the fastest recorded time. So Tyree kill at his pro day for context. Yeah, four, ran two, a four, four, two, nine. four, two, nine. Yeah. 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 Right. So this is, he, he ran a faster time at his pro day. Yeah. Than Tyree kill ran at his pro day. Now I believe Tyree kills fastest 40 time ever. It's like a 4.18 or something oh. like that. Like an, uh, an unofficial, like I, I, I Tyree kill has definitely run a sub four, two forty before. Um, I don't yeah. know that it was extremely scientific, but like, I yeah. believe it. I believe well, it. Yeah. Have you seen him? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I believe right. anything, yeah. no matter what physical feat someone said Tyree kill accomplished. I'd yeah. be like, yeah. Yes, sure. that checks out. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it'll be, it'll be fun to see these guys come in and compete. And again, like you just have total confidence in a, a coaching staff that just won the Super Bowl. And we talk about this plenty, but I don't feel like, I still don't feel like we talk about enough. The fact that we have all of our coaches coming back, right? Like we, we have the coaching staff that just won the Super Bowl with a bunch of scraps. They <laughs> built it in a cave with a bunch of scraps yes, and we did. won the Super Bowl. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's good to be, it's good to be the King. It's good to be on top. It's good to take, you know, Charvarius Ward and Bashad Breland and Mo Claiborne and turn them into a Super Bowl winning quarterback room. It's, it's, uh, it's going to be fun to see these guys develop. And it really is fun. You know, now that we have the quarterback, because it's just so much fun to be able to like, you know, focus on Legereus Sneed or, you know, Bo Peak keys, like a seventh round pick and be like, well, yeah, let's, let's follow this guy. Like, yeah, cause what's let's the worst see how... that happens? He doesn't right. work out, but you're still amazing. So right. like you, the, you have the pressure is completely off. You're set for life at the most important position mm. in the NFL. You know, you, you can waste your time with the uh, Bo Peak keys of the world. It's, so it's what good, happens good situation? What happens to the chiefs when they don't have Patrick Mahomes starting? Don't, don't talk about that. We know. have to talk about that. Oh, oh, God, I blew it. <laughs> doing a transition, and it was a beautiful transition. Yeah, it's all right. It was a little I, sh- I shot it down. No, but I, I should have been picking up on that. I was so excited to talk about our draft cast, and I am less excited to talk about Packers versus Chiefs, in part because we've done it once already. We have to do it. We've been doing a series. We've done every game. Let's talk about the Matt Moore home game against the Green Bay Packers, Taylor. Sunday night, October 27th, Sunday night football. Pat, 10 days earlier, when we, when you and I were in attendance, had uh, gone through the thing, 
that we don't like to talk about. And then his knee was on the side of his leg. My knee was on the side of my leg. And then uh, the Aaron Rodgers seven and one Packers roll into town. And, you know, Matt Moore, bless his heart. He, uh, he put on a pretty, pretty good showing all things considered. He did. Uh, You know, this game, this game was, there was a serious conversation before this game about whether the Chiefs should just sit everyone because they were already missing Eric Fisher. They were missing Chris Jones. They were missing Patrick Mahomes. So it's like, you know, Sammy Watkins is always banged up. He actually did play in this game, but like, you know, why, why put him out there? Tyreek Hill was one game removed from, you know, having been hurt and coming back or I guess two games removed from having hurt, been hurt and come back. Yeah. So there was a pretty serious conversation about it. And obviously the chiefs didn't do that. They played to win. And like you said, they put on a pretty good performance. The Packers got out to a 14 and nothing lead in this game. The chiefs were getting diced up in the air by the Packers running backs in this game. Uh, Aaron Jones had seven receptions for 159 yards and two oh. touchdowns. Uh, including an, an almost touchdown in the first quarter where he stepped out and then they ended up scoring anyway uh, later that drive. But then the Chiefs came back. They brought out their playmakers, Travis Kelsey on a 29-yard pass from Matt Moore, McCole Hardman on a 30-yard pass, a pop pass that he took to the house. The uh, the week one uh, 2018 special, the <laughs> pop pass for a touchdown to a guy that runs a 4-2. You know, real quick, the number of people that I still – argue with on Twitter that say that Pat Mahomes threw all those touchdowns because he was throwing pop passes left uh, and he right. He did it two times. Two times in the first game and then literally never again. Yeah, and he's never done it. Not a single time since then. It just, you know, they're savages. He did He did throw a pop pass to Tyreek this year, didn't he? He, he did, but what I'm saying is that... But in his MVP year, yes. Yeah, the 50 touchdowns. He had two of the 50 were pop passes and they were two of the first four that he threw that year. Or that it was, I just, I don't, people are dumb. I don't want to give any credence to that argument, but the big takeaway for me from this game was that Andy Reid is really, really good. (laughs) Really good. He's he's like really good at football. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. He he... was scheming his ass off in this (laughs) game and it was so much fun. I mean, digging out just all these weird plays from the playbook and let's not forget Matt Moore was coaching high school football like three months before this happened, right? No like kidding. he stepped in and this was one of the 10 best games of his career. Yeah. Yeah. He, um, credit to Matt Moore clearly for being an older guy that was not, you know, groomed for a situation like this. And he came in with 10 days to prepare against an exceptionally good green Bay defense. That was not a junior high team that he was playing. I mean, they are loaded and, he showed up and, you know, didn't throw a pick, had over 250 yards in the two touchdowns that we talked about, and was just – was a really good game manager. Now, there were a couple drives that stalled out that you could tell there was some – you know, the offense was not a well-oiled machine by any means, but um, came up with some big plays. And I just – this game really endeared me towards Matt Moore as the backup quarterback, and I was just impressed with the team's resolve. They, they had, you know, just dealt with losing their MVP – and a lot of teams could have very easily waved the white flag in this game, but they knew that their fans showed up for a primetime game. They knew that, you know, if this game was in Green Bay, I think we might have seen a little bit of a different fight from the Chiefs. Yeah, a little, that's a little true. Worse. But just the fact that they know that 
this crowd gets juiced and that, you know, they come out to, to see their team regardless of who the quarterback is. And um, obviously considering all the times that they came to see the team before Pat Mahomes, but uh, yeah, it was, um, it was too bad that they gave up the long, late 67 yard touchdown to Aaron Jones with um, you know, that it was a tie game with eight minutes to go. And then, that's Aaron why we Jones. got Will, that's why we got Willie Gay, man. That's why we got Willie Gay to chase down linebackers. I mean, linebackers yeah. ate us up all year. That was you mean running was, backs ate our linebackers up? Or, correct. Year. Yes, correct. Whether it was Austin Eckler or Aaron Jones or you know whoever it was, kind of going nuts on us. Um, that's why you need a speed linebacker. Yeah, a speedy linebacker who can tackle would be helpful. Uh, the yeah. Chiefs had some guys that were fast, uh, Duran Lee and Dorian O'Daniel, pretty, yeah. pretty speedy guys, yeah. and some guys who could tackle, but nobody could both of those things at right. the same time, which right. is why we got old Willie Gay Jr. This was a this was a this was a pretty good performance by the defense. Uh, to be honest with you, I mean, the total yardage, the Packers gained about 40 more yards than the Chiefs for the, the evening. The Chiefs had a really costly fumble that they lost late oh, in the game, McCoy, which right? ended up being, honestly, the the difference probably in the game. They're driving. They cough up the ball. Green Bay goes down and scores. And, you know, the Chiefs lose by a touchdown in a game where they were starting a bunch of backups and Matt Moore against Green Bay, a team that ended up in the NFC championship game and was seven and one. And the Chiefs have five sacks of Rodgers for 49 yards. You know, they they put him in a position where he had to make some ludicrous throws, some plays that really should should yeah. not have worked out, right? Good like point. how often should those throws have worked out? <laughs> how often should they work? Yeah. Uh, he Rogers the hell out of it. And that's the type of stuff that, um, you know, that we're used to doing to other teams these days. And to see a, a quarterback kind of pull a rabbit out of his hat and put a ball just absolutely in the one place on the field that it had to be um, on a long third down play. I mean, it's just very, he, he did his Rogers stuff and some stuff that he hasn't really been doing a lot of lately, but he sure, sure, sure showed up for this one. This is why everybody was so hyped when this game was announced on the schedule and You're obviously kidding. why it was in prime time. Cause can you imagine if Rogers is making those stupid throws like he did to Jake Kumaro on third down? Yeah. Where it like, you know, Sorensen almost basically had his finger on the ball. It almost touched the ground. You know, Kumaro makes a play on it. That play he had in the back of the end zone, for one of the touchdowns, just, uh, I mean, can you imagine Pat being out there on the other side, you know, yeah. he sees Rogers go out and do this stuff. It's <laughs> like, okay, bro, like cool, cool throw, bro. But check this out. It would have been fun. It well, would take the fun. Sunday night football environment. And then imagine if green Bay had beaten the Niners in the NFC championship game. Oh, and it had been, been Pat versus Rogers in the state farm bowl. That would have been fun. You know, we didn't really talk about this, but, and we'll talk about it some more next week, kind of the timeline here, because our hero had fallen 10 days before mm. we had, by, by the time this game came around, we not only knew that the news was extremely positive, more positive than it had any right to be when it first happened, but, but he actually practiced before this game and they didn't declare him out <laughs> until 30 minutes before kickoff. Like when they announced yeah. their inactives, that's when, when they officially announced that he would not be playing, but he like, he, he practiced like if, the week after he dislocated his kneecap. <laughs> if I had thought about it, I would have pulled our text threads from around before this game started because it was just a flurry of, do you think he's going to play? And like, do you, you know, like it was just, he's so legendary already 
and the the reports of it everything not being as bad as as you initially thought and you know the whole like well they've got to sit him even if it's not bad at all right they've got to at least sit him a game it's been 10 days though I mean it was it was fun it was fun to imagine a scenario where Pat did play and I think part of that was just we were you know we were trying to deal with the shock of of him not being in the Chiefs uniform for the first time in a year and a half but uh yeah, it was um, it was wild. He and then the next week, I mean, you know, he kind of he kind of was all already teased, yeah teased, he again. teased that, that he was maybe going to play, and it was it was another game time decision. And then you know, I mean, and really, what was crazy about this game too is not that we expected him to play or that we really needed him to play because in the back of your mind, you're thinking like, even if we lose this game who's going to really compete with us for the division, right? Like we've, we've won it so many years in a row. The chargers at this point uh, were three and five. So they were two <laughs> games back. The Broncos obviously were buried. We crushed buried. them. Yeah. But the Raiders were three and four and they were starting to show a little bit of signs of life. I mean, they were only one game back of us. And so, you know, the conversation at that point had to be, you know, we just lost three straight home games to the Colts, the Texans and the Packers. We were five and three, which is not a bad record, but if you're going for a buy, you know, you need to get to 12 and four. You're looking on having to run the table. Basically you can only have one loss from here on out. And it turns out that's what we did. <laughs> well, you know, no matter how dark things get in the immortal words of chiefs legend, Dustin Colquitt, it's always sunny in chiefs kingdom. 